Thank you, worship team. I'm sure they would use encouragement by giving them a hand. Yes, our God is good this morning. Uh, my name is uh, Peter Gatata. It's, uh, it's a privilege and a pleasure to be here to share in, the God, in, the, in preaching God's word. Um, I'm a member of this expression here in Edmonds. We love Edmonds. It's good to see a lot of people. Um, I don't know whether there are new people here today, but if you're new, you're welcome. Uh, we are good people. We love people. And I hope, uh, I hope uh, your time here with us will be a blessing. Um, today, our passage will be coming from Luke chapter 10. And Jeff did a good job of giving me a long passage. <laughs> 24 verses. So we'll try to get into it and, uh, and, and see what the Lord has in store for us. But uh, I can assure you it's been a blessing uh, just uh, going through this passage. Uh, this is just a continuation of our, of our teaching, of our series in the gospel of Luke. Uh, this is a great gospel. You know, it's a great gospel for people like us, Christians like us. You know, I guess we call ourselves sinners and sufferers uh, because uh, there are a lot of lessons that we can learn to help us in our journey. Um, I love the words of our last our song there, that God is ever almighty. Uh, he is a great God. He saves. And uh, it's because of his salvation that we're here today. Someone came and shared the gospel with us. Um, we got convicted. Uh, we gave our lives to Jesus. And here we are praising and worshiping God. And it's incredible to think that there are so many people out there that do not know Jesus. And uh, the way God has designed um, uh, his plan is that we as believers go out and share the gospel. And so our passage today has that emphasis. It has an emphasis of a summon. Um, and I'll talk more a little bit about that. I may interchange that word summons uh, with the word calling. Um, I think they share the same idea. But uh, uh, if you grew up in church, you've probably heard of this great commission of Jesus. Uh, the very last uh, passage, chapter in uh, Matthew 28, uh, there is what we call the great commission. Uh, Jesus with his 11 disciples, you know, Jesus is about to ascend back to his father. And uh, he sits them down and, and he gives them instructions as to what they would be doing between the time he leaves and when he comes back. And Jesus is coming back. We are looking forward to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that commission was great in terms of go beyond Jerusalem. Go beyond your village. Go into Samaria. Go into other regions of the world and share the gospel. And that's why we have missionaries today. Missionaries... Uh, this, is the, this passage in Matthew is a rallying cry of the Christian church for missions. That's why we go, because Jesus told us to go. Uh, but our passage today, uh, it is more local and contextualized. When Jesus, as we are going to see, sending out these, these disciples, it's more of a local mission. It's contextualized to where they live, to where they play, to where they work. But the principles apply to whether you stay at home and share the gospel or you go abroad. 
the principles are the same. So before we get into the word, let me pray. Let me ask God to bless our time together. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to hear and learn from your word. I pray that you will be gracious and kind to open the eyes of our hearts to see and understand your will. And that you'll give us the courage and boldness to go out and practice what we learn. In Jesus' name, amen. So, with your Bibles open to Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, we'll be reading from verse 1 to 24. And because it's a long passage, I'm just going to break it in sections. I'm going to read as, as I cover the points of our, of our sermon today. Um, and again, I say this is, this is just a continuation of where Pastor Jeff left last Sunday. Um, but uh, one of the exciting things that happened to me recently is I got summoned to jury service. Now, I have to tell you that I've been looking forward to that. And recently, I found myself griping to my family because my wife got a summons. My 20-year-old daughter got a summons. And it's more than once. But I never got one. Here, they don't want to do it. But I want to do it. And I don't get a summons. So I was kind of griping, saying, this is not fair. But, but be careful what you ask for because uh, two weeks later, 14 days later, Mine finally came in the mail. And I'm not going to say that I did a happy dance, but I was pretty excited. I was happy because uh, uh, I want to be part of this civic duty. I think one of the things you can do as a citizen is, uh, other than vote, is be part of that judicial process. And, and I'm excited uh, to be part of the, uh, uh, to be a juror. Uh, I'll find out tomorrow. You know, actually I get to take some time off to wait for, for the selection process. So that's cool. Uh, so I get some time off just to, to go through the process. But uh, that someone's kind of inspired my title of the message today. Because if you're familiar with the judicial system in this country, if you're summoned, you pretty much have to show up. You have to be present. You have to show up. The only thing that can disqualify you is what they call a great hardship. Uh, or maybe um, you're not a citizen. I remember getting a summons when I had a green card. I didn't qualify. But you, cannot, but you can also be disqualified if you're a convicted felon. So there is, a, there is things that disqualify you from being on jury duty. And, uh, um, but it's, it's an authoritative requirement by the court that you show up. Now, if you look with me in Luke chapter 9 verse 1, this kind of, you know, I was happy because... Uh, this passage in Luke 9, 1, it says that Jesus summoned the 12 disciples. Now, the Greek word for summon, as used in this passage, is the word sagkaleo. And it's a verb, which means to call to one's side. So Jesus called his disciples. He summoned them. And pretty much they had to show up. They had to be present. It means to authoritatively or urgently call someone to be present. And as I mentioned, these word summons could also be used as a word for our calling as believer. So Jesus has summoned the 12. And in our passage today, he is going to summon out of a group of many who showed up. There's going to be a selection of 70. Some Bible says 70. Uh, some Bible says 72. 
But we are going to look at three things today. We're going to look at the nature of this summons. What's the nature of our calling as believers? What did Jesus call his disciples to do? What are we called to do? We're also going to see uh, what we call the, uh, the instructions of our summons. There are some instructions specifically given by our Lord Jesus Christ as to what we are to do. And then we're going to look at the outcome. What can we expect when we respond to these summons by Jesus? What can we expect? First, the nature of our calling, the nature of our summons. Look with me in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. He told them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. This, the nature of this calling was twofold. Number one, it had a commandment to go. And also, it had the commandment to pray. So, Jesus sent them. And I love the way the Bible says, because he sent them ahead of him. So they knew as they were going out that the Lord Jesus was right behind. But he also sent them in pairs for companionship, for encouragement. But I also love this other part where it says that he sent them to the town and place where he himself was about to go. Jesus was very strategic in his missions and ministry. He did not go everywhere. If you look in the book of Matthew, it says that Jesus was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. There were other cities that he could have gone. He could have gone to Tyre and Sidon, which is mentioned later in our passage. But Jesus limited his ministry in Judea and in Samaria. And he was very strategic. My wife and I came here as missionaries. And the man who helped us come here was Gary Irby. And one of the things we were considering about where to go was the demographics. We couldn't just go anywhere. I mean, you could go anywhere. But the first thing you do is you look at the demographics of the place where there is a need. And we came to find out that about Seattle, I don't know whether the statistics are the same. But in the Seattle area, less than 4% of our population attend a Christian church on any given Sunday. I mean, that's great lostness. If you think about it, 4 out of 10 people today are going to church. What about the others? And so that became, that became our prayer point. God, could Seattle be one of those areas where you're calling us to go and proclaim the gospel? So Jesus is strategic where he sends us. And we can pray. We can look at the statistics. We can look at the data and see where there is a need for the gospel. And we can pray towards that end. So there was that commandment, I need you to go. Jesus physically could not go to every single city in Israel. That's why he had to summon helpers, the 12 disciples. And this time he actually summoned 72 Six times more than the 12. Because he needed people to come and go. And he sent them an encouragement. But the other part of this summons 
is the commandment to pray. Look to what he says. The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So we've got a problem. Jesus is using a, an agricultural metaphor. He is looking at people and he sees lostness. But not only that, he sees the people as ready and ripe to hear the gospel. There are times when the people are just ready to hear the gospel. I remember when 9-11 happened. Is there a more time in this country where people were more open to hear the gospel? There are times when the harvest is ripe. And I tell you, and this is from experience, we have to pray for God to open our eyes to see people the way he sees them. He has to open our eyes. Because Jesus is looking at the people. He's looking at the harvest and he's saying, they are ready. They are ready for the harvest. But there are so few of you. But then Jesus tells them, you got to pray now. You pray. But why pray? I mean, if God is the Lord of the harvest, why can't he just raise up people for himself and send them? Why do we have to pray? Why do we have to go through the process of prayer? Now, if you're like me, you know that prayer. As you're praying, you know what happens? God changes our own hearts. As we pray for God to, to, to raise more people, to be open and willing to go and share the gospel, we cannot help but say, God, don't forget me. So as the disciples are praying, God's working in them. God is working in their hearts. And you know, God is not desperate. God is not desperate. He just doesn't want people to show up to do the job. God is not interested in just a hired hand. That's why Jesus had to do vetting. Last week's passage, you know, he would ask somebody, would you follow me? I, I, I got something to do first. I have an emergency. I, I, can't, I, can't do, I cannot go with you. I can't follow you. Or I have to go say goodbye to my family. So God is not desperate. And that's why Jesus is saying, I would like you to pray. Jesus is vetting and saying, I want people who are ready. If you grew up in a farm, you know that you could have a plenty of harvest, but you could hire someone who doesn't care for your harvest, and he could ruin it all. A careless hired hand is going to ruin your harvest. And so Jesus is engaging us, saying, I want you to pray. Pray and pray. Now, I went up and looked up this word pray that Jesus is using here. In Greek, it's the word deomai. And it means to beseech. Today, you don't hear a lot of people use the word beseech. But you hear people use the word beg. It's the same word, to beg. Or to plead for something. It's the kind of prayer that you and I would pray when, if we had a deep personal need. Think of a time that you had a deep, deep need in your heart. And you went to pray. And the passion and the intensity of that prayer. That's the same word that is used back in Luke 940. By the father whose son was tormented by a demon. 
I mean, the father could not stand to see the demon torment his son. So he came to the disciples and he said, Jesus, I begged. I begged your disciples to drive out the demon, but they couldn't. If we have to beg God, that's what we have to. And notice, Jesus does not say that we pray for more workers. He doesn't use the word more. It's not about the quantity. It's about the quality. He wants disciples that are ready and willing to do the job. Once they engage in the task, it's not looking back. But that's the intensity in which we ought to be praying for and with when we are pleading with God for lost people. When we think about our lost neighbors, think about our lost friends who do not know Jesus. Maybe engage, maybe plead with God. God, I plead with you. Would you have mercy on so and so? We plead with God for our children to accept Jesus. We plead with God for our neighbors, for our co-workers. We plead with God. That's the nature of our calling. There's a command to go, a command to pray. And then the second part of it is the instructions that God, that Jesus gave to his disciples. There are some instructions that we can all use. And this involves having a new attitude. Two parts to these instructions. Having a new attitude, but also the requirement to actually open our lips and proclaim the gospel. Look with me, verses 3 and 8 says, Now go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. If you have a teenager, don't ever try to tell them to, to not take anything on vacation. Because they, they, carry, they carry quite a lot. <laughs> I speak from experience. I've seen my teenage daughter. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this household. If a person of peace is there, your peace will, will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer. For the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't move from house to house. When you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things set before you. You know, this phrase, lambs among wolves, is an interesting phrase. And I'm curious whether Jesus was intending to scare them. I don't believe so. But it's scary. It is scary. But he did not say lambs among lambs. He did not say God to wolves among wolves. He says lambs among Wolves. These are two different animal types. One's a prey, the other is a predator. And the reality is when we step out in faith to share the gospel, it's scary. It's very scary. But what if, what if, what if God is calling us also to step out and reach to the people who are unlike us? People who are different than us. And part of our calling is 
The people that we reach with the gospel, they do not need to adjust their attitude. We are the ones who need to adjust our attitude toward them. And Jesus says, you've got to be like lambs. An attitude of humility. We as much are, we, we are not to be confrontational out there. I don't know what it is with people nowadays. Everybody's on an edge. Everybody wants to fight you. I mean, they're, on, they're driving, they're driving carelessly. Have you seen, have you been on the highway lately? Everybody's just on edge. It's crazy stuff out there. I don't know what's going on. But it is a crazy idea to think that we as believers are the ones who need to change our attitude. You know, one of the things I got in the mail is, as, as a potential juror, is to watch a video on unconscious bias. And it would be terrible to be on trial and have someone biased determine your fate, determine your freedom or your guilt. And that's one of the things we have to lay, let go. We have to let go biases and stereotypes. And be open to the fact that God might be calling us cross-culturally to people who have different habits, different likes and dislikes. They have a different team they support. But God could be calling us there. Lambs among wolves. It's a scary thought. But that's something Jesus is calling us to. And he'll be right there with us. He was right there with the disciples. I'm going to be with you. And Jesus encountered that attitude. When he went to minister to people, he was rejected. He was opposed. And later on, he's going to tell the disciples, you two will face the same opposition. Yes, there's going to be opposition. But God help me as I go out. There's a lot of people hurting too. There's a lot of people hurting. And they are looking for someone who can listen to them. Who can show compassion. They are looking for somebody different. Do you know that? There are people out there who are just looking for somebody who can lend a year to them. And listen compassionately. Lambs among wolves. God help my attitude to be that of humility. But then there's also an attitude required of trust and dependence. As a missionary, this is so important. Look at the instructions. Don't carry a money bag, a traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone around. Like, like how am I supposed to survive Jesus? How, well, what am I supposed to do? What about my needs? But Jesus told me, don't carry it. Just go as you are. You know, Jesus could have provided these resources up front. Right? As for missionaries, you know, we have to raise support. We have to have a list of people praying for us. We have to raise money for people to support us. But do you know that God can provide these things up front to us? Yes, he can. Jesus could have. I mean, after all, he's the same person who, healed, who, who fed 5,000 people. But why then have them just go as they are? To teach them trust and dependence. God is interested in the worker as much as in the work. He wants, 
He has a vested interest in you and I as he is shaping us to be disciples. They had to trust. They had to have people skills. Now, can you imagine a disciple who has a wolvish spirit going to ask a neighbor, can I leave it? Can I stay in your house? I mean, even the cheapest motel won't take you in. But that's the attitude. You know, that's how they were to, to, to extend that conversation. I come in peace. We come in peace to share the good news of Jesus. That's how we, 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 we cross that barrier. Is we come in the name of peace. To share the gospel. I'm here in peace. I'm not here to, I'm not here to judge you. I'm just, I'm just here to extend the peace of God. And I know many of us, just like myself, give excuses why we can't go and share the gospel. What if I get kidnapped out there? What if I get hurt? What if I don't know what to tell somebody when I meet them, right? I, I don't know what to say to them. Like, I don't have a theological degree. What about my job? Uh, I mean, I don't have the time. We've got to trust God that he will provide some of these things. I know one time my wife and I were just, uh, we, we, we got an opportunity to go to Cuba uh, to do missions work. But we, we, we did not have uh, the time from work. You know, we could, we could take some time off. But, but God showed us and said, well, maybe you could use some of your vacation time Instead of you and your family going on vacation, maybe you could use that time to go and minister. And so I came to my family and said, well, there's this opportunity. Um, you know, the, the two weeks of vacation we have that we share as a family, can I use this to serve God? And all we all came to that consensus and said, yes, yes, well, let's, let's do this. And, and we trusted that God would provide opportunities. Depend on God. And I love what Jesus says. The worker is worthy of his wages. These disciples, they were not supposed to beg. What they got was not charitable. It was actual wages. Serving God is real work. And I want to speak to the young people here. Sometimes... Parents, we don't tell our young people that they could have a vocation in serving Christ. It's real work. It's real work to serve God. He will take care of you. He will provide for you. God has provided for my family. We came to the U.S. as missionaries. God provides. But there will be times when we feel like there is nothing, but God provides. Serving God is real work with real pay. It might not sound cool like engineering, right? But it is a great thing to serve and work for God. Let's encourage our children to join in the work of the Lord and share the gospel and be missionaries locally and globally. But then there's this other part of the summons that Jesus gave the disciples one was to have a new attitude, but also to share the gospel. You know, if we go out to reach out to other people and we don't tell them about Jesus, we are just socializing. We're just hanging out. We're just hanging out. But Jesus told, the, told his disciples, this is what I want you to do. Verse uh, 9 to 16. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near you. 
When you enter any town and they don't welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we are wiping off even the dust of your town that clings to our feet as a witness against you. Know this for certain. The kingdom of God has come near you. I tell you that on that day, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. What to you, Chorazin? What to you, Bethsaida? For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. And whoever rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. This is the essence of why we go to share the good news of Jesus Christ. But it has three dimensions. Number one, it has a physical restoration part of it. Every time Jesus sent the disciples, he began with heal the sick. There's a physical restoration. We come across people, they are ill, they are hungry. It's harder for a hungry person to hear the gospel sometimes. It's difficult. It's, it's just difficult. So God has us do compassion ministry. Let's feed the hungry. Let's feed the homeless. Go and heal the sick. You know, you and I have the power. We have the power and authority to pray over people and they become well. I know I sound like a charismatic, but that's not true. That's the reality of you and I as believers. But you won't know about this power unless you use it. I remember one time I spent some time in Kenya. I had gone for like a three-day of fasting and prayer. And I was just walking home, just happy, high in the spirit. And there was this man who was just walking, because walked everywhere. This man was walking alongside of me, and, and I noticed something was wrong with him. Every few steps he took, he would stop and kind of strutter to, his, to the side of his stomach. Every, every, and, and I kept following him for quite a distance, but then you know, I felt like God wanted me to talk to this man. So I approached this man, and I said, sir, is, is everything okay? I says, no, no, I'm not, I'm not doing okay. I just came from the hospital. I've been walking for quite a distance, and the stitches on my side, I, ha I had a gush in my, in my side of, of the stomach, and, and those stitches are coming loose. I have far away to go. I don't know what to do. Since it was in public, I said, okay, well, I don't have much I can do for you. I don't even own a car, but I can pray for you. And I remember that moment, just praying for that man as best as I could. I don't know what would have happened. But I remember, I remember God healing that man. I don't know what happened to his side. But I remember the man gaining strength and energy to walk home. Do I have the gift of healing? I don't have the gift of healing. But do I have the power to pray? Yes, I do. And that's why we pray. Jesus pray. I have given you power and authority. We have that power and authority to, ex to bring a physical restoration, to bring a psychological restoration to people who are dealing with mental illness. We have that power and capability. 
But then there's the spiritual dimension of our calling. And that is where we share the gospel. We open up our lips and proclaim the good news of Jesus. How will people know about Jesus unless we tell them? They don't know they are lost. So we go to them and we open up scripture. We learn how to present the gospel to people, to bring spiritual restoration. This is humanity's greatest need. Reconciliation with God. And that's why Jesus says, go and tell them the kingdom of God is near. Yes, physical restoration sometimes is the door that opens a conversations about Jesus. And people begin to listen to us. And we share the gospel. The goal of sharing the gospel is repentance. And that's why Jesus was so, he was mad with these cities. Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. These are the cities that he did some of his greatest work and miracles. And yet, not all of them believed in him. And he says, woe unto you, man. Woe unto you. The judgment that came to Sodom is going to pale in comparison to what's coming to you. The goal of sharing the gospel is repentance. And we have to ask for it. We have to ask people to repent. People don't know that they are lost. But repentance means changing your mind about something. Absolutely. Yeah, when we talk to people, people don't know about God. They hear about God. They change their mind. They say, yeah, I want to follow this God. I'm going to change my lifestyle. Repentance leads to salvation. Tell them the kingdom of God is near. But then I also see something else about this, uh, this sharing the gospel. It's like a rescue mission. We're there to rescue people who are going to hell. Sometimes they don't know they're going to hell. But it's a rescue mission. Yes, it's a rescue mission. Judgment is coming. There is judgment coming for every single soul that sins. The soul that sins will surely die. And people who reject Jesus Christ... Sad to say that they will perish. And many perished in his day, in his time. They perished. And he told them, you are going to die in your sins. If you reject me, you're going to die in your sins. So we not only plead with God for soul, for people to go and do the work. We also plead with, with people. We plead with people. Now imagine you loved somebody so much. And you knew they were going and headed for destruction. What would you do? You would plead with them. You would plead with them. Please, change your mind about how you're living. Change your mind and come to God. We plead with God to raise workers, but we also plead with people. We are rescuing them. And I love the fact that we have been given this privilege as believers to go and represent Jesus. The same mission that he started, he gave it to the disciples who passed it on to us. And we will pass it on to our children and they will keep passing it on. It continues. It continues. We have this amazing privilege to represent Jesus. Amen. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing to pray, to, to, to serve our God. So there is that part where we are called to go and pray. And then there's this attitude we, 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 God wants us to have, share the gospel. But the, finally, we're going to look at the outcome. What can we expect to see? What can we anticipate to see? What happened? 
Wow. Listen to these words from Luke 17 through 20. The 70 returned with joy. Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a lightning flash. Look, I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will ever harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You know, you would have thought these 72 disciples were coming from a football game where Gino had done a touchdown. He had won past the Giants. You know, like they were so happy. They were excited. Oh my gosh, I can't believe this. And yes, there is a joy that comes when we serve God. You know, I mean, I have been to, to huge open-air crusades in Africa where we have all these great preachers who come and, boy, there is a joy and excitement to see the working of God. There is a joy that comes, the joy of the Spirit, when we go out there and work for the Lord. I mean, have you ever been in a, in a, in a place where as you work, you're dancing and celebrating? If, yeah, that's kind of what they were feeling. Man, this is cool. And you remember earlier the disciples you know, this newfound power, they, they, they kind of wanted to flex it a little bit. Can we kind of call fire from heaven and zap these people who are rejecting you, Jesus, right? You know, we zap it, you know, they, they, they felt good. You know, we have been empowered by God. I love God for the Holy Spirit. He gives us gifts and abilities. He doesn't have us go and work in our own strength. No, I was not born to speak, by the way. No. Nobody, it's, it's the Lord Jesus Christ who endows us with the gifts of the Holy Spirit to do his work. And alongside that, we get the joy and satisfaction. But Jesus wanted to kind of correct this just a little bit. You know, spiritual gifts are going to cease. We will not have spiritual gifts forever. When we go to heaven... Who's going to need to speak over there? Who's going to need to sing? No, we don't. Well, we'll sing, but are we going to need spiritual gifts really? No, spiritual gifts help us serve God and one another. Jesus says, I watched Satan fall from heaven. Now, I don't know whether this is referring to the first time Satan fell. Or is it referring to maybe as they were doing the works of ministry, Jesus observed Satan being defeated? Because that's part of what happens when people give their lives to Jesus. Satan is dethroned. He no longer has power in our lives. He is defeated. And we see Jesus defeating, defeating Satan more than one occasion. But he says, I've given you power. Now, I don't know. I, know. I know it's hard to sometimes think we have the power, but we do have the power. You know, and especially when we step out in faith and go serve God, we have power. Many missionaries will tell you that. People who have been in the field, they have witnessed the power and the might of God. But Jesus says, this is, what I want. This is where I want you to ground your joy. Let your joy be in the fact that your names are written in heaven. Praise the Lord. What does that mean? Who wrote those names? Who wrote our names in heaven? When were they written? 
When were they written? No, we can't write them because we don't have access to heaven. But guess what happens? John says, as many as received him, they were given the right and the privilege to become the children of God. The moment we heard the gospel, and by the conviction of God we repented, and turned and changed our mind and looked at God, and said, yes, I accept the gift of Jesus. That very moment, our names were written in the Lamb's book of life. We became citizens of heaven. And that is permanent. Nobody can take that from us. We will forever be citizens of heaven. But spiritual gifts, they will cease someday. Spiritual gifts are nice, but they are not the source of our joy. That's not why we celebrate. We celebrate in the finished work of Jesus. That joy will sustain us. Thank you, Jesus, for writing our names in heaven. I love the next passage. The next part of our, of our passage here says, if you look with me in verse 22, 21 and 22, rejoicing in heaven. In that same hour, he, talking to, about Jesus, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father and who the Father is except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. I mean, think about this for a moment. Jesus, after witnessing his disciples be filled with joy, Jesus himself rejoices. He's filled with the Spirit, and he too is rejoicing. You know what makes Jesus rejoice? Is when he sees people who do not know him come to him. He also rejoices when he sees people who know him go out and tell others about him and they get converted. That brings joy to Jesus. But not only to Jesus, but in heaven. Luke 15, 7 says, There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. This is the stuff that makes angels spin in heaven with joy. When a lost person comes to Christ. I want to be part of that celebration. I want to be part of that celebration. And I know God will help us as a church here to be part of that celebration. If we can pray to God to help us and bring us together and give us the strength that we need, we are yet to see great moments and days ahead of us of celebration as people come to Jesus. And finally, we are blessed. This is a blessing. As Jesus tells his disciples at the very last part of this passage, then turning to his disciples, he said privately, the eyes that see the things you see are blessed. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see this, the things you hear, yet did not hear them. What, an, what, a, what a blessing. What a blessing to be counted as a, an ambassador by Jesus Christ. We are co-laborers with Christ. 
We are ambassadors of Christ. We have been endowed with the power of Christ. That we can go and proclaim these words of Christ and people's lives are changed. Could you imagine that you and I have that power? We have that power. We are blessed. And Jesus told the disciples, you guys, you are blessed. So many prophets in the Old Testament and kings, they wish to see these days. But you, you're blessed. We are blessed. We have, the, we have the complete canon of God's word today that we can read and look at and get our instructions. So this morning, as we come to the end of our message, I pray that God will, will inspire us and encourage us to know that we are not we are not powerless. And uh, even though our enemy is defeated, he hasn't conceded. But be not, be, be not afraid because we have the power to counter him. We have the power to fight the offensive against Satan and his powers of darkness. Let's pray.